Tinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, I just thought he was on pucks. You know, I thought our, uh, I thought he was a major factor in our forecheck, and our forecheck did an awful lot in the hockey game, especially uh, with the two goals in the third period. Um, but I just thought he was around pucks tonight. He was on pucks, and so, uh, yeah, that, you know, he played with a lot tonight. That was a star-making performance yesterday afternoon from Andrew Mangiapane. There's head coach Jeff Ward after Mangiapane completed a career day in a 6-4 win over the Anaheim Ducks. I'm going to try not to say night because it was day. I think I only said tonight two or three times yesterday, which for me is a pretty big coup for an afternoon game at the Dome. But it's the first career hat-trick for Manjapani, his first career four-point game, and he was the most impactful player on the ice yesterday, bar none. He turned that whole game around, what, 101 seconds after the Ducks went up by a 3-1 score when Delorier scored that kind of fluky one to make it 3-1 Ducks. That's when the Manjapani show took over. And he had already scored once in the game, and he had already been a very impactful player, but it was after that goal where he scored that beautiful backhander that, yeah, you know, maybe Ryan Miller bit a little bit too hard on and, you know, didn't really need to dive across the net the way that he did. But still, that was a goal scorer's fake, a goal scorer's drive, and a goal scorer's finish from Andrew Manjapani. And he turned that whole game around. And and when they needed a spark, when they needed something good to happen, that was number 88 who was giving it to them. And he would finish off his hat trick a little bit later on in the third period. But I can't sit here and tell you that what we saw yesterday from Manjapani is a surprise. I can't sit here and tell you that I am stunned that this guy just had a career game. Yes, everything went in for him yesterday, and offensively he had himself a career game. But this has been one of Calgary's most effective and consistent forwards at even strength all season long. 13 goals now, all at even strength. That is third most on the team. Only Lindholm and Kachuk have scored more goals at even strength than Andrew Mangiapane. And that was, uh, you know, he was in that conversation even prior to the hat trick yesterday. But Mangiapane scored more even strength goals than Monaghan, more even strength goals than Gaudreau, more even strength goals than Backlund, more even strength goals than Gio. Like, Andrew Mangiapane has been productive, and it's only been in the last week or two that he started to see meaningful playoff time. So, sorry, meaningful power play time. This has not been a guy who has been snake bitten on the power play or who hasn't been able to get it done with the man advantage. He hasn't been getting any time on the power play. Only recently has he started seeing time there, and the more time he sees on the power play, the more productive he's going to be with the man advantage because this guy isn't going to remain goalless on the power play all year long. So you have how productive he's been in terms of goals at 5-on-5, but it's not just that. Right now, Manjapani leads, and, and some people buy into these these things and some people don't. But 
Manjapani leads all forwards in five-on-five possession on the team. He's at 52.5%. The only player on the team who has a higher possession rate than Manjapani does is Mark Giordano. So best among forwards is Manjapani. He's played in all different roles this season. He's been on a line with Lindholm and Kachuk. He's been on the backland Kachuk line. He's been dropped down and played in the bottom six. He has been all over the place when it comes to his utilization. He is second on 5-on-5 goals per 60 and second in 5-on-5 points per 60. Only Lindholm has more goals per 60 minutes and only Derek Ryan has more points per 60 minutes than what we're seeing at 5-on-5 from Andrew Mangiapane. And if you're not familiar with that stat, it's basically a way of rating per hour or per 60 how productive a guy is based only on his even strength minutes and it's a little bit more of a telling stat than maybe just taking a look at goals assists and points because that doesn't always take into account the situation you know a guy could be very productive on the power play and not so much even strength and a guy could not get a ton of time even strength and if you end up being productive it's all based on your minutes and how much you're playing Anjapani has been an extremely effective player and here is here's the thing about Andrew Manjapani. He's on a very reasonable contract right now because he signed a one-year deal as a restricted free agent. But if I were Brad Living, I would absolutely sign this guy to a long-term contract extension right now. They just got Rasmus Anderson done for six years. This guy's from the same draft class, and they're former Barry Colts teammates. The Barry Colts thing doesn't matter. But I would sign Manjapani to a long-term contract extension right now. And I know that it doesn't necessarily happen in the snap of a finger and you don't just say hey we're going to sign into a long-term extension but they got it done with anderson right now manjapani is clearly in my eyes a core member of this team going forward and if you can get him now for less than the going rate in a few years time get it done there's no need to bridge him there's no need to wait and see what you've got with this guy It's only going to get better, I believe. It has only gotten better throughout his NHL career. Like, there's there's much like the argument for Rasmus Anderson. You know, you take a look at the Anderson contract and say, well, yeah, it's probably a little much for him right now. That's that's probably based solely on what he has done to this point in his career. That cap hit might be a little high, but that's not what you're paying for. You're paying for down the road and what that cap hit might look like in year three, four, five, and six. Well, for Manjapani, if you were to go six years, and I'd be all over that if I were the Flames, if you could get him six years at $3.8 million or something like that, I would pounce all over that. Now, I don't know if that's something that the Manjapani camp would be interested in or not. You never know because there's always another side to it. But if the Flames could commit dollars and get him to sign long-term, then absolutely. There's no need to bridge this guy if they don't have to. Really impressive performance from Andrew Manjapani yesterday afternoon. Really impressive season from Calgary's number 88. On the text line at 960-960, uh, this reads, what kind of raise does Manji get next season? Bennett money? Well, it depends. If if he signs a long-term deal, then I think more than Bennett. If he signs a two-year deal, then, yeah, it might be a little bit closer to that. But I don't think a two-year deal makes any sense. Sign this guy long-term right now if you can and go high enough that his camp would be interested in doing the same thing. 
This reads, yeast mode is going to get paid. And then on the other side, while where has the NHL come when we're all overjoyed by a score by a guy scoring 13 goals? Pathetic. I don't think we're overjoyed. I just think that I think pathetic's maybe a little strong. Maybe you need uh, maybe you need some OPA today to make yourself feel better. Um, but I just think we're talking about a guy who was drafted in the sixth round, who has beat every single like for Andrew Majapani to make an American League hockey career for himself, let alone an NHL career for himself, is impressive. So for this guy to now solidify himself as a bona fide NHLer. That is beyond beating the odds. This guy has shattered the ceiling on what his career was supposed to be when he was drafted in the sixth round by this team in 2015. Why are we overjoyed? Well, I don't think we're overjoyed, but I do think that we're talking about a guy that has solidified himself as a bona fide NHLer, and the more power play time this guy gets and the more that he grows into his role, I don't think a perennial 20, 25, 30 guy is out of the question one bit when it comes to Andrew Mangiapane. In fact, I think a perennial 20 guy is exactly what we're talking about and a guy that can knock on the 30 door a few times as well. That's that's how much upside I see with this player. Uh, what else we got at 960-960? I remember being pretty upset when Tree Living didn't re-sign Mangiapane to a two-year deal, knew he was going to be good, was expecting a 20-ish goal season, give or take. Now, after that negotiation, his agent's going to take it to Tree Living and deservedly so. Again, you might have to go a little higher than you'd like to go on a six-year deal, but get it done to make sure that it happens. Uh, you are way too high on Manjapani. Every team has two or three of those players, very replaceable, would never go more than three mil a year for him. That comes from Jeff. Why would Manjapani sign an extension right now while he's trending up? It takes two to put pen to paper. I hear that, and, and that, that, I, that sounds like Pinder is texting that in because I feel like when we get into this conversation after 2, two o'clock, that Pinder will come back with the same thing. But my rebuttal would be, well, why would Rasmus Anderson have signed? Like, Anderson could very well have done the same thing. Anderson could very well have said, well, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna wait and I'm going to see what I can get a little bit later on. I, I, I'd, like to sign for, uh, I'd like to sign for two years and see if I can maximize my time. Oh, he wants to be here. He wanted to sign. Why, wouldn't, why would that be crazy to say that Manjapani would do the same thing? Good conversation to kick off the program, 960-960 on the text line. Welcome to the Pinder and to the Pinder and Steinberg show. I was about to say welcome to the Steinberg show. Then I got all mixed up. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg on this Monday afternoon. It's Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully your family day line uh, weekend was good. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the program. I will tell you, I know exactly where we are. My days of the week and my number's not so good, but I do know that we are at OPA Creekside on this Tuesday afternoon. We're hanging out here once again with Kid Sport. I've got Kevin from Kid Sport right beside me, and we're here for the citywide 50-50 draw. Address for Creekside, you know what, it's part of the uh, big Creekside Plaza, uh, 12294 Simons Valley Road Northwest. Easy to find if you're in the Northwest. We're here until 6 o'clock. What we're doing, the citywide 50-50, as you know, come on down to OPA locations when we're live on location. 
Get yourself a 50-50 ticket, get yourself some lunch, and you could be winning up to $50,000 on our grand prize draw. Uh, yeah, have some. There's a, the falafel meal that's going on right now for under $12. You can get, if you're the, like me, you can do the calamari and the Caesar salad. There's so many different things you can do. Opa Creekside, once again, the address, 12294 Simons Valley Road Northwest. Big win for the Flames yesterday afternoon. They beat the Anaheim Ducks. Let's take a look back. It's time for the game in a minute. Game in a Minute, brought to you by Height Infinity. Save up to $5,000 on a cash purchase of the 2020 QX60 or finance at 0.99%. Every in-stock vehicle sold will receive a $250 spa gift certificate. Good afternoon, hockey fans, and welcome inside Scotiabank Saddledome for a family day feud between Elias Lindholm and the 30-24-6 Calgary Flames and Ryan Getzlaff and the 24-27-7 Anaheim Ducks. The Flames turn it over, here comes Henrique, he's got a break, Henrique into the backhand, scores! Here's Hannafin with a shot stopped by Miller, and they score! But now Hannafin turns it over, Silverberg in front, shoots and scores! Dangles in, Majapani scores! It back into Bennett, who comes up the right wing side, cuts to the middle, and scores! Turns it over, Kachuk with a shot stop, rebound, they score! Ryan Miller stopped the first. Matthew Kachuk shot, but he couldn't stop the second. The Flames have scored three unanswered goals in the third period, and they've got a 4-3 lead. Turnovers, Monahan, he scores! Monroe, Gamajapani, he's in alone, and he scores! And here come the hats. The sea of red rises here at Scotiabank Saddledome. And what a day it was for the Flames' Andrew Mangiapane, his first career NHL hat-trick and a career-high four points as the Flames complete an incredible comeback. They trailed the Ducks 3-1 in the third period, but they score five in a 6-4 win. Doesn't sound like the Flames are getting Mark Giordano or Travis Hamannick back anytime soon. They win once again yesterday without those two guys on the blue line. Derek Ryan was also out in that game. But head coach Jeff Ward joined Boomer this morning. I uh, really do encourage you to go listen at sportsnet.ca slash 960. I listened to the whole thing uh, this morning a couple of hours ago and, and a really good chat with the head coach of the Calgary Flames with Boomer and Cron. But here's what Jeff had to say about the statuses of Travis Hamannick. And Mark Giordano. The most truthful thing I can tell you is week to week right now. I know Gio, the last time he had this injury, came back quickly in six weeks. It's two now, so, you know, he's healing uh, extremely well. Um, Travis is a little bit slower uh, due to the, you know, due to the injury he's got, but, you know, it's coming. He's starting to be uh, less, less painful every day. Um, so I would think that uh, both guys are going to be available at some point down the stretch here. Um, but right now it's a week by week thing based on uh you know how it's responding to the to the rehab and both guys like I can tell you're in here working extremely hard because they want to get back out there. That doesn't paint a picture of guys coming back anytime soon. At least it doesn't for me. You know, sometime down the stretch we're going to get him back, but it sure does sound closer to March than it does sometime this month. Now it is Feb 18, and there's only like nine days left in the month of February, so that's not the worst thing in the world. But it doesn't sound like we're talking about either Hamannick or Giordano knocking on the door. And there have been times when 
you can tell that they're missing two of their top four defensemen. There have been times where it looks very apparent that there are guys playing way over their head. There are other times, though, where those guys have done the job, and, and they've been put into elevated roles, and they've done them admirably. But, I mean, the longer this goes on, the more that it becomes worrying. So that leads us into our trade deadline conversation. Less than a week away from the deadline. What is the best approach for the Flames to take ahead of Monday's deadline? It's a loaded question because there are compelling reasons to be aggressive at the deadline, and there are just as many compelling reasons to do the opposite and be nowhere close to aggressive at the deadline. Here's where I am. I don't think the Flames should be going after big-name rentals. I don't think they should be in the rental market. I put this up at flamesnation.ca. Wrote it this uh, wrote it last night. It's up today. In saying that, in saying that, I don't believe they should be in the rental market. I understand those who think they should be. The division is wide open, and the team is underachieved. There has to be an internal thought within the organization that this team is capable of more. And if guys like Gaudreau and Geo, when he comes back, and Monahan really start to figure it out and they've got a bad division that they can take advantage of, and they go out and get an impact player, that maybe this team could be poised to truly go on a run and not do it using smoke and mirrors. They've gotten good goaltending. That's another strength of this team. Like I can understand wanting to take advantage of that, but for me, I don't think it's the right call. I don't like the prices. You know, from a rental standpoint, to give up assets like what Vancouver gave up for Tyler Toffoli yesterday, that seems a little out of whack because I don't believe the Flames are on the cusp of being put over the top by one player. I don't think the Flames are one player away from being a cup contender. I think that they are, with or without a rental, a team that's in the middle of the pack, and with or without a rental, I think they're one of five teams in the Pacific Division that could go to the Western Conference Final if they make the playoffs. But the same way I could see the Flames beating any one of the four other Pacific Division teams in the playoff series, I could just as easily see one of those four teams beating the Flames. Like it's So, so I don't believe they're one player away from truly contending for a Stanley Cup, and I think sometimes there is a danger to looking at a situation and say, well, I mean, look at how the division, you can take advantage of that. I, you can still take advantage of that by not going into the rental market, by not depleting yourself of draft picks and assets. Like that was a big, that was a big cost to give up for Toffoli. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that that was right or wrong from Vancouver's standpoint. Don't particularly care about what Vancouver does. All I'm saying is that it's a lot of assets to give up for one player, and I don't believe that's the position the Flames should be in this season. Now, player with term. That's a little different. Or a controllable asset like a, you know, an, an RFA at the end of the season, that's a different story. But I don't know how many of those guys are going to be available at the deadline, especially ones that fit the Flames age bracket of kind of like around 25. And take a look at what Jason Zucker cost. Take a look at what Blake Coleman cost with terms still on their contracts. Both of those guys cost first-round picks and more. Is that a price that you're willing the Flames to pay? Is that a price the Flames are willing to pay at this point? So I don't think they should be in the rental market. I think standing pat is the best way to go. 
But there are, there are such compelling reasons on both sides of the argument. Uh, and, and that's why if you're like, I disagree, I can't sit here and say that you're wrong. I can't sit here and say that you're crazy for thinking that they should be and, and they should take advantage and they should try to go for it this year because the reasons are, I don't think they're equally as compelling because I put more weight in the reasons not to, but that's just my opinion. And the reasons for them to be aggressive at the trade deadline, they're valid too. And that's why I think it is a fascinating conversation. And that's why I think general manager Brad Tree Living is in a really difficult spot come the trade deadline. That's coming your way on Monday, 1 o'clock Calgary time. In six days' time, the trade deadline will have passed at this time of day. Full disclosure is every weekday morning with Will Nault. It's brought to you by BMW Motorworks. You love your BMW. Give it the attention it deserves. Motorworks is BMW certified technicians and will beat any competitor's quotes on 51st Ave and 3rd Street Southeast or Google Motorworks Calgary. Let's keep the Flames conversation going around the corner. Ryan Pike Flames Nation joins us next. This is Pinder and Steinberg underway on a Tuesday from Opa Creekside. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Let's keep the Flames conversation going on this Tuesday afternoon. Welcome in our good buddy Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. Joined us every week on the program, usually Mondays, but yesterday was a holiday Monday, so he joins us this afternoon, Mr. Pike, a 6-4 win for the Flames yesterday over the Anaheim Ducks on Saturday night, an 8-4 loss. That was uh, that weekend kind of encapsulated what this season has been for the Flames, hey? Yeah, and you could even extend it back to the uh, the, the pair of games they had in uh, the L.A. area on uh, Wednesday and Thursday because I think you know you could be forgiven uh, if you were watching the the game yesterday and had the same kind of flashbacks to the LA game where it's sort of here we go again with uh, the team playing pretty well but not executing and not managing the puck amazingly well at key times and getting down early. But you got to give them a lot of credit. I mean, it was a bit of a roller coaster, but they managed to come back and score five in order to pick up two points they desperately, desperately needed. So we'll see if that's a harbinger of things to come or. If uh, much like they have for the last 95 games, they'll continue to sort of be a uh, uh, up and down hockey club. What do like? What did you like specifically about yesterday's game? I like the fact that they they just kept coming in waves. I mean, we've seen cases where you know the team you know they're playing well and a bounce goes against them, and so they start pressing. And when they start pressing, they break up what actually works in terms of their their five-man play and start freelancing a bit and then you have one guy out of position and then two guys out of position and then pretty soon it's five guys sort of running around like uh, like Timbits and the other team gets another goal and another goal and another goal and it gets away from them I think we've seen that quite a bit this season where you know games only get away from them when they let them get away from them very you know the, the talent level in the hockey club is such that they're probably not going to get their show run by too many teams if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But they, I think they've tended to get frustrated at times and started to break away from what makes them successful. And uh, it was heartening to see them not do that because they, you know, it felt like any number of other games once they got down 3-1 that, oh, well, I could probably tell you what's going to happen. They're going to score one or two more goals, and this will look like a, a kind of a laugher. And thankfully for them, that's not what happened. Yeah, no doubt about it. So they win. That was a big win for them, especially after what happened on Saturday. Thoughts on Andrew Mangiapane? I know that he scores the hat trick yesterday, but just an, an overall thought on the season that he's had to this point. He 
he quietly might be the team's uh, second or third best even strength player behind uh, Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. Uh, and I mean, those two guys have gotten a lot of accolades, both of them, uh, you know, first round draft picks in their respective draft years, uh, you know, making some big, big money. And then there's little Andrew Majapani making uh, 15 grand over league minimum. And, you know, he's scoring hat tricks. He's, uh, he's, one of the guys that's really driving the offense and even strength in a big, big way. And I think having him on that, on that line, uh, the, the reunited new 3M line has really, uh, the few games they've been together, especially on the road trip has done a great job sort of getting Michael Backlund to where he probably wanted to be in terms of being an offensive force. So, uh, Magic Penny's just, he's just a good hockey player. He's, he's, uh, not a liability in any of the three zones. And he's, I think, more creative than, uh, many people give him credit for offensively. So, uh, if he can keep building on this, uh, he's going to get pretty well paid this summer. What would you do when it comes to a new contract for Manjapani? I don't know, because I think the, the big challenge is, do you think you know what he is? Because if I'm Manjapani's, uh, representation, I would probably do a one-year deal again and sort of get a bit of a raise. And then, you know, in another year, when you come back to the, the bargaining table, you have a couple of good seasons because, you know, I think it was challenging for them to hatch out exactly what he was this past off season because he had sort of been all over the place. He played in the fourth line. He played in the top six. You know, he wasn't particularly bad at anything, but his role wasn't precisely clear. So it wasn't really easy to make an apples-to-apples comparison uh, if you're making a negotiation tactic. Whereas now you can make a really good case that, you know, he's a, he's a bonafide top six forward on, you know, on a deep team, he's probably a, you know, really good third liner, but on the Flames right now, he's contributing at a top six level, especially even strength. And I think it makes it a bit easier to figure out what he is and who the comparable players are. But in another year of this, if you have say, you know, 160 games of him producing at this clip, then I think it's a lot easier to come to terms on a longer term deal because, I think right now there's a lot of risk on both sides if you try to do something long-term because the variability in what he could be is still there. See, and I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not as um, cautious as you are from a team standpoint. I, I don't see much downside in signing to him to a long-term deal this summer just because I take a look at what he's done, how productive he's been at even strength, and it's not just this year. He was he was a very effective and productive five-on-five player last year too. Like they they did it with Rasmus Anderson and gave him a six-year deal. I I don't I don't know why you wouldn't think about doing that with Manjapani. I think the situations are are very very similar. Yeah, and I think you know, I think the obvious comparison that people are going to make, sort of going from a small sample size, is Lance Boma. I mean, the Flames have had a few cases in the last few years where. But you know, come on, you 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 look athletes. you look at the you look at the underlying numbers. You know that Montepani oh, no, and Boma are legitimately very good. He's legitimately very good. But from a team perspective, if you're a general manager who you know you don't know how much the cap's going up next year, you don't know you know if you're going to be making significant moves over the summer or the trade deadline. If you if you want to maintain some flexibility, I could see the 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 mindset of going short term, especially considering they have been bit by by these kind of deals in the past. That said, yeah. the difference between Boma and Majipani is Majipani you could play in the top line right now and you wouldn't have any qualms about it, whereas Boma was basically somebody you had to have stable to Michael Backlund's flank in order to to get something useful out of him. So, uh, yeah, Majipani is really good. I think this is. 
the, the Flames have done a pretty good job finding value in the sixth round, uh, you know, the last three or four or five drafts. I mean, you know, you got Maggiapani, you have uh, Matthew Phillips down in uh, Stockton, uh, you know, tearing it up. You have uh, Emilio Pedersen in Denver University tearing it up. So uh, kudos to, the, kudos to the, uh, the scouting staff because finding these kind of guys late in the draft and being able to get some productive cheap years out of them before you have to make these types of decisions is exactly what the scouting department is supposed to do, right? Yeah, well, and, and and I think it goes beyond the the sixth round too. You take a look at Wolf. You take a look at Zavgarodny, and and both those guys are late round picks too. They they've done some nice work when it comes to latter stages of recent drafts. I'm with you completely on that front. To Ryan Pike's with us from FlamesNation.ca. Okay, Cam Talbot's been the better guy in between the pipes pretty much the entire second half of the season. How do you read this goaltending situation right now for the Flames? Um, I'm kind of old school. I, I, I'm the kind of guy that says play until you lose. And I think you kind of got to ride the hot hand that said, uh, you know, when we talked to him on, on Saturday, Jeff Ward's, uh, apparent philosophy seems to be, you, you know, you, you need both guys going because you need, I think that the term he used uh, was battle level it, just in terms of, you know, yes. uh, especially the, the way the flames have been defensively has been, has lended itself to some, you know, occasional hiccups and some scrambliness in their own end. So I kind of get the rationale behind you want to have the guy playing to have as much energy as possible because you're probably going to have to make a few scrambly saves. You might, you know, there might be a, a couple scrambles once in a while. You know, I'll give them credit. They've done a pretty good job, especially on the last road trip, you know, keeping those second chances and third chances to a minimum. But uh, just the, the playing style right now with the defense, especially missing Giordano and Hamannick, has lended itself to a little bit of scrambliness. So I kind of get that, at least in the short term, wanting to keep both guys going. But, you know, I think the, the standings are so tight that you probably have to run by the hot hand. So, you know, if it was up to me, I'd probably, you know, I think you go back to Cam Talbot against Boston. And then from there, basically, you know, guys play until they lose or play until you think they have a bad outing and then you want to get the other guy in. Are you worried at all about, about Reddick? You take a look at the numbers over the last 12, 13 games. They have not been promising. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, I mean, you know, goaltenders at this level want to play every game. I'm pretty sure if you, if you, if you put some true serum to both guys, both Talbot and Riddick would say, I'd start 82 if they let me. And, you know, that's, that's how they got to this level, by being that competitive and that driven. Uh, but I think, you know, to a certain extent, because, of, because the Flames are kind of, uh, you know, let's be honest, a mixed bag to be charitable in their own end for much of the season. I think they leaned on, on uh, Riddick really early rather than sort of hoping that Talbot would find his game while playing behind a defense that was a little bit dodgy. And now that it seems like there's a little bit more stability in the defense and the, the goaltending is sort of balanced out a bit. I think we're starting to see Riddick, you know, show a little bit of fatigue in terms of he's already played, you know, what we're at 61 games and he's played, you know, high forties. Like he's played a lot of hockey already. I mean, there's a, point that probably halfway through the season he was the most used goalie in the nhl and this is you know he's never played this much in the nhl before so i think at any level really yeah yeah and if you factor in the travel there's a lot of miles on him this year that he's never experienced before so i think that's an adjustment for him on and off the ice and so you know i think it was inevitable that his numbers were going to take a little bit of a dip uh maybe not to this extent but i think you know, he's once he gets back in there, and if they're they're able to uh, manage his minutes and keep him fresh, I think down the stretch they have the potential to have a great one-two punch because you know Talbot's been superb down the stretch, and you know if you you take you know David Riddick's performances both last season and early this season as a 
uh, metric for how well he can be, he can be a tremendous goaltender. And that, you know, that gives the Flames a one-two punch that a lot of teams in their division and their conference don't have. With Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca, you picked up on this this morning uh, with Jeff Ward on the morning show as well, and that is just doesn't really sound like either Hamannick or Giordano are coming back anytime really soon. Yeah, I mean, you know, from best we can tell, neither of them are skating. I mean, uh, you know, I, we encourage folks to go to uh, Sportsnet.ca slash 960 to listen to the whole segment with uh with uh, Boomer in the morning show because you know so Jeff Ward is a little a plug. Fun, he's a good, he's a fun guy to listen to. I like listening to Jeff. He's very, he's a very interesting guy. And uh, you know he sort of tipped the hand a little bit in terms of you know where guys are at injury wise. I mean uh, Giordano is a hamstring injury, uh, and he's two weeks into a recovery that took him six weeks the last time it happened to him. Uh, and apparently six weeks was sort of on the early side of uh, of the recovery timeline. So you know to I think it's I don't think it's unreasonable to presume he'll be back in three to four weeks ish granted the last time this happened to him he wasn't 36 so it might be unrealistic to expect him to come back as quickly as he did last time uh hammock's injury we got a, an update from uh from bradshaw living on the road trip uh it's not a concussion and it's not a shoulder and he sort of declined to say anything else because you know you got to protect your player uh, so it's some kind of a upper body injury. Uh, he, according to Ward's comments, he's still sort of a little bit sore and a little bit of pain, but the pain's lessening. So that sort of gives you an idea of where he's at. Uh, so I don't think it's realistic to expect either guy back before early to mid-March, which would mean that the Flames probably, I could see them making a, a move similar to what they did last uh, last trade deadline when they sent a fourth-round pick to L.A. for Fandenberg. And Fandenberg, you know, he was perfectly fine. I think, I think the challenge right now is they have a lot of guys playing sort of, you know, many, many more minutes than they're used to. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Hannafin has had his ups and downs. Stone has had his ups and downs. Uh, I think Brody and Anderson have done a good job sort of, you know, doubling down on what makes them effective. But, you know, you if you have six guys right now, seven if you include uh, Brandon Davidson, sort of playing in a higher station than they're used to, and I think I think it's helpful for everybody if they bring in, you know, someone of uh, a third pairing ilk just to sort of balance things out a bit, so they can lean on that third pair a little bit more than they have. Uh, right. Dylan Demello just got traded to uh, Winnipeg for a third round pick. That might be sort of uh, the price tag you're looking at for someone reliable. Um. Just and before we move on to some deadline conversation, what have you thought of Alexander Yellison? You've seen both of his games with your own two eyes. Uh, you were on that road trip in California. So, what have you made of Yellison's first two NHL games? Um, he's been good. I think uh, he's been pretty steady in his own end. Uh, the LA game, he seemed a little bit uh, caught off guard by the amount of speed that the the four checkers had when they were coming at him. Uh, but he made some adjustments in that game. I think he was pretty pretty good against. Uh, against Anaheim. He was even, you know, making some smart decisions in the neutral zone, the offensive zone with the puck. Uh, you know, he's, that said, he, he, there's still some tentativeness in his game. I think, you know, you still see him sort of, you know, trying to figure out where he's supposed to be because, you know, he hasn't played with Shillington at all this season. So you're trying to figure out the tendencies of the guy you're playing with and figure out where you're supposed to be. And, you know, your second game in, I think you're still a little bit self-conscious about, you know, how you're coming across and how you're doing. But, uh, you know, Jeff Ward was very complimentary about his game, uh, you know, against Anaheim saying that, you know, he, he, he liked him and he, you know, liked how he was hard on pucks and uh, did a good job. So uh, I imagine given the, the circumstances, we'll probably see him again. I don't know if we'll see him again against uh, Boston because I think, you know, uh, Brandon Davidson's sort of a bit more of a known quantity. Uh, but 
I would be shocked if we see him against uh, Detroit, for example, because, you know, a team like that seems like a, a good time to sort of throw him back in there and give him a chance to sort of keep building his game. Okay. Let's move on to some actual trade deadline conversation. We're less than a week away from the deadline. I wrote about this at Flames Nation today, and, and basically, what what is the best road? Is it better for the Flames to sell? Is it better for the Flames to stand pat? And my whole pe- my belief is I don't think the Flames should be selling assets for a rental player at this year's deadline. But unlike a lot of other years, Pike, like – there are compelling arguments on both sides and it's tough to say it's tough to say either side is completely out to lunch again i don't think selling i rather i don't think buying makes a ton of sense especially for rentals knowing the rental market and what the prices are but i'm curious as to where you are on on what the best road to go down is for the flames I'm very much in your boat i mean you know dating back to you know since they came back from uh, from the all-star break you know, I made the comment uh, to some colleagues yesterday uh, after the game, if the Flames were to stock based on how they've been playing, would you double down on them or would you just sell off? And, you know, I think the, the, the consensus is somewhere in the middle in terms of, you know, you're in it. So if you're in it and you think, okay, well, if you do what you need to do to get there, your young guys will grow from having to, to sort of play above their skis a bit to get there. And then – you get Hamannick and Giordano back as the Cavalry, and then all of a sudden you're a much deeper team than you thought. So you, without really expanding a lot of assets, you can get some internal growth, which is valuable, uh, especially if you know the idea is you, know, you might not have some of your UFAs back next year, but some of the guys you're leaning on this year are going to be guys you need to lean on in the future, so it could be beneficial. Uh, on the other hand, you, know, uh, you don't want to miss. So I can see them, I can, you know, especially... Let's be honest, you know, this is an ownership group that just wrote a $275 million check for a new building. Uh, playoff revenue isn't something to sneeze at. I think it's something like million, $2 million, you know, you'd ha- we'd have to bust out the, the abacuses and figure out exactly, uh, you know, how much seat everything was going for. But, you know, for, for, the, for the pocketbooks, having playoff revenue is huge. And it's, you know, yeah. you, you, playoff revenue is also huge for all the bars and restaurants. So beyond, beyond just, you know, uh, a hockey ops thought process, there's some, some spillovers from, from playoff revenue and playoff games. So I think, you know, for a group that's really had, you know, let's be honest, this has been in some, you know, in some ways a nightmare year. I mean, you've had all the, all the stuff with uh, Bill Peters and the Ed Giordano getting hurt and Brody passing out and people being freaked out about that because, you know, at the time no one knew exactly what it was. It was just terrifying uh, and a lot of different things. And then the, there's been a lot of things that the group as a whole has had to battle through. It had to roll the punches. So if you're the general manager and you sort of see the resiliency your group has shown, maybe you want to throw them a bone and give them a little bit of help. But on the other hand, you know, a lot of the, the on-ice challenges the team have had have been self-inflicted. I mean, it's the same group that won 50 games last year, but it's also the same group that, you know, dating back to, uh, to last year's All-Star break, in the last 95 games, they've only won about half their games. So dating yep. back to almost 100 games, they're still a very up-and-down team, and they've been habitually consistent for, you know, a year and a quarter. So if you're, if you're the GM, do you want to expend, you know, future core pieces potentially based on how these guys have been drafting for, you know, a potentially a Band-Aid solution that won't, might not even get you into the playoffs? Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest fear for me. If if I'm a you know if I'm Brad Tree Living, and it's very well established that I'm not, but I just would be really worried about missing the playoffs and still giving up an asset. Because look, I'm I'm sixty forty 
that this team makes the playoffs. If I'm being objective, I'm probably 60% in, 40% out. Like, uh, that's not great odds, especially when you're a cap team like the Flames are. So, in saying that, like, there is a very realistic chance they miss. So, do you want to, like, I just think you have to be, and I, I, I love the term and I hate the term, but I think you've got to be intellectually honest with yourself and say, what are we? And that's what I think it, it really needs to come down to when you make this decision as the Calgary Flames. It's, it's a, I can't remember a more fascinating year when it comes to the trade deadline for this team because both sides do have so much merit. And yes, I believe that buying doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I also understand that the arguments on the other side are very valid. I, I really can't wait to see what this team decides to do. And I, and I think, you know, uh, to, to to be intellectually honest, I think they're probably having this discussion right now down at the hockey ops department, just the idea of what is a successful failure looks like here. Because, I mean, last year they had a tremendous year. It was a young group, and then they just sort of fell flat on their faces in the first round. And I think the lessons and the growth that they hoped they would get out of that didn't materialize, or at least didn't materialize to the degree they thought it would. So last year, in retrospect, was probably an unsuccessful failure. So let's just say they miss. What do they need to do and what do they need to get out of this group between now and April 4th in order for this season to be something they can build off of? Because, you know, I think they hope they could build off of last year, but it hasn't really materialized. So what do they need yeah. to do to get there? Yep. And that, uh, that might be the trillion-dollar question when it's all said and done. Good stuff, Mr. Pike. We will talk again next week. Just before you go, what's, uh, what's new? What can we expect at Flames Nation? Oh, goodness gracious. So much stuff from young Patrick Steinberg and myself. Uh, and we have some uh, some trade deadline breakdown. And uh, one of our new writers, Craig, just did a, a nice breakdown of uh, Andrew Mangiapane's passing because, you know, if you, were, you know, if you look around the team, he's probably the best passer in terms of turning uh, puck possession into goals. It's all up at flamesnation.ca right now. Thanks, Pike. Talk to you next week. See you, bud. Ryan Pike from flamesnation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. We do have trades to pass along to you six days from the trade deadline the we already know that dylan Demello has gone from the ottawa senators to the um to the winnipeg jets uh that for a third round pick and the washington capitals have just acquired defenseman brendan dylan from the san jose sharks for a 2020 second rounder and a conditional 2021 third round pick that just coming down while pike was on with us uh, the Sharks are retaining 50% of Dylan's salary and cap hits. So Brendan Dillon, now a member of the Washington Capitals, second-round pick, conditional third-round pick, going back to the San Jose Sharks. Pinder and Steinberg underway, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Are going like crazy right now. Welcome back, finishing off the hour Brendan Dillon, a member of the Washington Capitals. Dylan DeMello, member of the Winnipeg Jets. And now Marco Scandella, a member of the St. Louis Blues that just coming down in the last couple of minutes. Uh, the latest from the NHL trade market today. Apparently today is deadline day and not Monday. The St. Louis Blues have acquired defenseman Marco Scandella. 
from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange second round pick in the upcoming draft and a conditional fourth round pick in the 2021 draft per hour Chris Johnston who joins us at the top of the hour three o'clock the condition on that deal if St. Louis re-signs him prior to October 7th or if they win two rounds and he plays in at least half of the games Montreal gets a fourth in 2021. So there has to be a number of different conditions. He's got to resign by October 7th, and the Blues have to win two rounds, and Scandella has to play at least half the games for that to be a fourth-round pick. So right now it's a guaranteed second-round pick and maybe conditional fourth-round pick for Scandella. That's good work because Montreal gave up a fourth round pick to bring in Scandella. Now they get a second round pick for him. Nice job by Mark Bergevin in that regard. The deal that sends Brendan Dillon to Washington from San Jose is a 2020 second round pick and a conditional 2021 third round pick. And the Winnipeg Jets send a 2020 third round pick to Ottawa for Dylan DeMello, another defenseman. So that is three defensemen that have been traded in the last hour. DeMello from Ottawa to Winnipeg. Dylan from San Jose to Washington. And most recently, Scandella from Montreal to St. Louis. Woo! Maybe today will be like trade deadline day. Who knows? Uh, More reason to tune into the Sports Drive at 5 with Ryan Pinder. Ryan Pinder. It's brought to you by... He's sitting right beside me. Uh, It's brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Speaking of Pinder, we've got a lot to talk about. We'll kick off Hour 2 of Pinder and Steinberg talking some flames. An important question to ask Mr. Pinder about yesterday's catalyst. That's when we come back. Hour 1 of Pinder and Steinberg in the books from Opa Creekside. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.